Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this MotorWeek podcast. It's our podcast number 35, and we're coming to you from Studio C here at MotorWeek headquarters. And around the table for this session are road test producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. And writer Shamit Choksi. Hey, John. And over-the-edge reporter Stephen Chupnik. How's it going? Okay, coming up, we also have our lightning round and a look at the MotorWeek mailbag. But let's get right Right into the vehicles. And our first one is a truck with some serious off-roading capabilities. It's the Ford F-150 SVT Raptor. And uh, who's going to start? Shamit? I can start on that one. I think uh, Raptor, the name kind of says it all. Um, of course, Raptor refers to not just the dinosaur, but also the, the fighter jet. And now we have this incredibly venomous truck that was uh, kind of made to dominate the Baja 1000, the the iconic race uh, out in Southern California. Um, I thought this thing was amazing. I think everybody on this on the staff was pretty impressed with it. It is truly uh, a scary, sinister-looking truck. It's based on the F-150, Ford's F-150, which everybody knows very well. But it is uh, wider. It is uh, just um, meaner. And it, just the looks of it are just, uh, you know, from tire to hardware, everything is just, it's all about dominating the off-road. But but it's still now a street truck. I mean, it doesn't have the roll it, cage or a lot of the other things that you'd have in a pure racing truck, but it certainly has that look, but... You know, what about living with it when you're not conquering the, well, the dunes? I think that's what blew us all away yeah. because, yeah, we took it out to Green Ridge State Park and, and uh, it has, you know, obviously all the capabilities, the power to go through mud, dirt, streams, everything like that, and of course sand because of the Baja. But we took it out on the road and, you know, I had it for a weekend and you guys did too. I took it to the grocery store. The thing rides. As smooth as silk. I mean, it's you know, uh, it's not a uh, it's not a commuter car by any means. But I'm I'm saying that you could live with this thing. This is an every you could have this as an everyday truck and then go ballistic on the weekends out on the off road. And it's got some really trick hardware in it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's well. You're talking about the smooth ride. It's got Fox shocks on. I think it was the first production vehicle to have Fox. If you're into ATVs or motocross or even mountain bikes, you're familiar with Fox shocks. And that's that has a lot to do with the ride. You know, everyone thinks that having a lot of wheel travel is going to make a, a stiff ride, which it can, but with shocks like that, I mean, they're all about smoothing out bumps, you know, going high speed over bumps, and uh, they'll absorb anything. In fact, you found the faster you drove it over rough terrain, the smoother the it got. smoother it got. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're definitely great shocks. The thing is just a beast, especially uh, uh, I was driving a, a car, and it was uh, somebody else I worked with is in the rear view, and seeing that thing in the rear view is insane. I mean, it is definitely a beast. <laughs> it's got that big, you know, chiseled Ford right across the, uh, the front end. The and engine's the 5.4 liter, which... Uh, you know, a lot of people have said it's not quite enough, especially when you get into serious off-roading. They do have a 6.2 liter oh, uh, coming out yeah. with 400 horsepower. That's going to be a monster. Yeah. But it's got a lot of trick off-road stuff to it. You know, you can lock everything and disconnect things. And it's the steering wheel's got a, in the leather sewing, it's got a, you know, a mark where, uh, to let you know where the center is, which is important <laughs> sometimes. I sure. Or usually you just wrap a piece of tape around there, but, uh, you know, it's got it actually in the leather. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff like that. And it's so demure looking, right? Now, what, t- 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 tell our, our listeners about, you know, the visual experience, the color, the interior. Uh, I mean, the color, they, they call it molten orange. It's a complete 
like orange nightmare, you know, on the road. It's got this black splattered paint on the back. Yeah, I could do without that. Photo, yeah, you didn't like that. I kind of yeah. liked it. Um, big fat fenders and uh, there's 35 inch high tires. I mean, I mean it's. And and I love the fact that you can see, you know, the Fox shocks you're talking about. I mean, you can see all that hardware and the suspension bits underneath just standing next to it. You pull up to somebody in a car, and they look over, and all they're looking at are, are shocks. So, it's cool. It's very cool. Now, on the inside, it was pretty much straight forward tr- uh, Ford truck, unless you got the optional package that added some of the orange inserts. But there's some unusual hardware there as well, right? Well, well, there's the there's a sort of an auxiliary light switch box, mm-hmm. um, which allows you to go after mark and go crazy with lighting. Uh, it just makes the whole process a lot so easier. So if you want big like running lights or something, well, yeah. yeah, or any uh, you know electrical, you could have a, like a electric uh, diff lock, or yep. you could have a winch, you know, power sure. that's you know a lot for pre-wired uh, pre-wired switches. right, yeah. right. So that makes sense. That's pretty thing. cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I, th- I think this truck has been hyped up more than any. That I've heard, you know, around around the office, and it really does live up to the hype. And I think you said the word beast. It's the only word that comes to mind. This truck is an ultimate beast. It'd be interesting to um, to put it out uh, against the uh, power wagon, but the power wagon is much heavier and a little bit uh, different. Yeah, in, I don't think uh, it's near as serious as this truck. This, yeah. It really surprised me because I wasn't expecting it to be as serious. You thought it'd be it more is. cosmetic. Yeah, like a trim package. And but to me, this, you know, it's done by SVT. And to me, a much better truck than the Lightning ever was, that's for sure. Lightning yeah. was faster, obviously, in a straight line. But that's but about all it could not do. Not practical as a truck at all. This right. thing, you can go have some fun with it. Right. Great. Okay, let's move on now to um, our, our first convertible of the season. We've had unusually warm weather here on the East Coast and a perfect time to drop the top and enjoy some early uh, spring rays. The Audi A5 Cabriolet has been to our shop. And, Brian, I know you're going to pick up on that, too. Yeah, the A5, uh, you know, everyone, I think, liked the A5 Coupe when it came out. Stunning-looking car inside <laughs> and car. Uh, the Cabrio, I wouldn't say I was disappointed by it, but uh, we've had some awesome handling Audis in lately, the R8 V10 and S4, and this car definitely comes down on the more comfortable cruiser side of things, especially for Audi. I was kind of surprised by that. And, so it's a boulevard cruiser. Exactly. Top yeah. down, want everybody to see you, keep it at the speed limit. Well, that's sort of expected, too, in yeah. a way, right? I mean, uh, I, and we kind of knew that that from the coupe, it would be a little bit of a step down in terms of Well, handling. you lose a lot of body rigidity, sure. but did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, you know, it's very apparent when you start mm-hmm. going through the slalom course we had. And even the straight line performance, it's got the two-liter turbo. And uh, I wouldn't say it's underpowered, but uh, as close as it can be without being underpowered. Just not really a thrilling driving experience per se. But the two point, you know, the two point turbo, which is a great engine, I just think it's not quite enough in this car. Although the transmission is awesome, and you know, it doesn't have any turbo lag anymore. They've definitely done away with that. This is a true four passenger convertible. I mean, you put two people in the back seat with decent legroom. I think so. I think so. I'm not sure what the top up how the headroom would be, but uh, yeah, plenty of legroom. Yeah, I was pretty impressed when I take a look. I'm always looking at you know what's going to be the next uh, double dating uh, convertible, and for pure style points, this car wins by a mile. So we, where are we uh, where are we going this weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll check my wallet. You oh, check yeah, yours. <laughs> Although with this car, I'm not so sure you need a whole lot of money. Just put a little bit in the tank and go cruising. Yeah, I mean, for, it's like forty three thousand, which. Uh, granted, it's probably worth it, but it seems a little high to me. It, mm-hmm. it just wasn't. I was really impressed with.
also the A5 and the, especially the S5. This car, you know, I just wasn't as lost a little something in yeah, taking the top off. It's almost like the you know having a A4, you know, with the price of an A5. I mm. just don't uh, not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on now to a little bit different uh, for our podcast. Um, I'm going to start. One of the reasons that we asked Stephen Chupnik to. Uh, come on board for this podcast as he's just finished up uh, a, a little bit of a different segment for us. Uh, the idea came to Stephen because uh, it's springtime and everybody is uh, cleaning up their cars. And if most people are like me after the winter of salt on the roads, uh, they're pretty grubby. Uh, and Stephen basically set out to uh, sort of change that and to see how the pros do it, right? Yeah, I really got down and dirty with uh, car detailing and went down to uh, a shop and was basically given the the reins to clean out a car and so you they would they told you to do it oh they told me i you didn't just watch oh no 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 i i got in and this car you know you so it was a ford explorer eddie bauer edition and you think eddie bauer odd oh, it's you know they they're not going to mess it up but this truck had horses it had Dogs. It had. I don't even know if it was live animals. Wait a under, oh, wait a minute now. It was, horses in the vehicle. They, they were eating out of the vehicle. Oh, oh my it was, god! Really? Wow. It, Sweet. Yeah, I got I in there. Got Mike Rowe for that job. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, sounds like it was just right along his line. It was definitely. Uh, it, it was fun, and I and I learned a ton about what the difference is between just a regular car wash and detailing and. Well, what are some of the tricks of the trade uh, that they taught you? Now, obviously, everybody knows the basics of, of washing and, and waxing a car. But, you know, these guys are, quote, unquote, professionals. So what surprised you? Well, I think that what surprised me is this guy's been doing it for 24 years and was one of the first guys to start or the first company to start a mobile detailing where, you know, some of these guys who really want to clean out their car and get everything that you really want cleaned up. It was, uh, you Did know, you get down with like a toothbrush or anything? Or? Oh, I had the toothbrush. I had Q-tips. Uh, well, no Q-tips. And actually that's funny because, uh, Randy coffee, he's, that's, that's the guy, um, it's detail authority. And it, the guys, they use toothbrushes to yeah. go inside mm-hmm. the vents. And, you know, they go inside they, the vents, the vents to oh. do that. And he said, rather than using a Q-tip. Did you do the with, engine as well? Or no, he, he doesn't touch the engine huh. with, with certain vehicles. And this vehicle, uh, it, it was a 1998 that was had 270,000 miles. Oh, my uh, And it was still going. It was still are, running. Are those like Oral-B toothbrushes, or are they special for detail? <laughs> uh, I think it was, uh, it wasn't Oral-B, but it was It was just a regular toothbrush the pharmacy. with, you know, a back, back-to-back toothbrush. Four out of five dentists recommend that. <laughs> How about actually cleaning up the exterior? Now, you washed it, and then what? Did you put on more than one coat of wax? Was it all hand-done? It was all hand-done, but he's got a special waxing and spray and gel mm-hmm. that he uses specifically. It, it's not your over-the-counter gel. You know, for, to clean the wheels and the tires, there's no armor all. It's not. It's a special blend mm-hmm. that is commercially bought. It's for commercial It's for commercial detailers. detailers. But, but in, did, did you learn anything, though, that people should watch out for? Because after all, a lot of these companies, there are a lot of mobile detailers out there, and some were legitimate than others. But any warning signs to know when you're getting a good job and not? Well, I think the one major thing that he wanted to dispel a myth. Um, When you're using soap and water on your car, 
you can use soap and water on your car, but make sure it's car washing soap. Some of the regular over-the-counter dishwashing, dishwashing soap. soap will destroy your paint. Um, Especially the clear coat. Yeah, yeah. clear coat and he said that. that over the past 20 years, he the, some of the paint that has been put on some of these cars is good and bad. Uh, good for the consumer because it's a better quality, bad for business because it is a better quality. Uh, some of these paints are easy to clean compared to 20 years ago, hmm. 10 years ago. It's, a, it's like any other walk of life. There's like detail guys and then there's amazing detail guys. And, you know, you get some amazing guys. It's what they can do and you know, bring cars back from. It's a work of art. His b- ballpark. What are people looking to spend range wise? I mean, um, he has a flat fee. He didn't. We didn't go into to price because he charges per job. Um, I mean, he looks at the vehicle and he, then quotes your price. You, you know, you give him a couple, and this is what we talked about. You know, he said that he gives you a base price, and then it's not hourly. It's a, it's a base price, and then depending on the job. It could go from a couple hundred dollars more to upwards of a thousand dollars. Really, to, depending on because your typical detailing, I know in this area, can run you about one fifty, one seventy five for interior and exterior. So he uh, he really is doing high end jobs. Then. Well, yeah, and if you would have seen this truck and he, he gets the worst case situations i uh, he tries not to but this was a this was a car that uh it, it was definitely reputation to the extreme right. yeah well i can't wait to see the segment it sounds like a lot of fun we um, should do a sequel uh, i've got a few cars that we can yeah i think we all do <laughs> i'm sure uh, he'll be happy to take it on awesome. yeah for a price for a price All right, let's move on now to our lightning round where our Motor Week uh, panelists have the opportunity to share their opinions on topics making the news. It's two minutes, and when we hear the bell from Michelle, we're supposed to stop, but uh, we sort of take that as a suggestion, just like most people do with stop signs. Here we go. While many states require hands-free devices like hands-free cell phones while driving, Vehicles are coming equipped with more and more switches and controls, more infotainment system. The Internet's getting ready to come on board. So here's the question. Are cars becoming too complicated and overloaded with technology that can distract drivers? Who would like to start? Yeah, to me, it all comes down to bad drivers. You're going to be a bad driver. Uh, there's tons of them out there, and whether you got a cell phone in your hand or whether you're using hands-free, uh, you're still going to be a bad driver. I mean, this is nothing new. You go back to the 40s, and they were like, oh, radios and cars. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's the end of the world. But, you know, we seem to have adapted. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, we're going both ways. The manufacturers are putting more and more of the stuff in the cars, and all the governments and, are, you know, banning it. So I'm not sure where we're going to end up with this. I mean, I kind of agree with Brian. It's, but, you know, you have bad drivers, and then you have you know, a bad driver with a, a cell phone. So, you know, it becomes a worse <laughs> driver, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, look, so in, in one way, these technologies are helping us. In another way, they're making things more complicated. I don't think we can. It's kind of splitting hairs at this well, point. Well, I think it's a couple of important things to think to know about. Number one, it just because it's hands-free doesn't mean the driver will be less distracted. That's correct. There have been study after study after study that shows that it doesn't make a lot of difference whether you've got a hands-free device or not as far as distraction. Now, theoretically, you'll have the other hand on the steering wheel, but we all know that won't necessarily you know, be the case. Maybe they'll have it around a, a cup of coffee or yeah. a cheeseburger. Well, one of the things they say is cell phone can, can mess up your periphery. Uh, that's, uh, that has been in studies, too. So, but, you know. but still, people, they find that except for teenagers, 
that your attention on the road is still about the same. same. As a matter of fact, what they're putting to rest is this myth that we can all do multitasking while driving. It's pretty much been shown that we can't. But I agree with Brian. You know, there are a lot of other distractions that are worse. For instance, what about kids? Biggest distraction out there. I mean, can you think about, you know, uh, um, before we started, we were talking about this, and Michelle mentioned that there's nothing scarier than seeing, uh, you know, a van full of uh, kids, basically. Uh, The parents basically being distracted by, you know, six or eight different voices in the back, and they're trying to keep their mind on the road. And meanwhile, have they seen you? That's the big question. Well, there's there's that. And then how many times, I mean, this has happened to all of you guys, whether you say it or not, but you're driving along, and then all of a sudden, You've gone. You've traveled three or four miles, and you don't know how you got there. I did that once. All right. Well, then we do that. I mean, Every right. day, almost. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of <laughs> crazy. So you get lost in your so head all the time. Yeah. The distractions are already yeah. in our brain. So, um, again, yeah. I, I As typical, that. government laws like this, and they are going to affect more and more states, uh, they basically are trailing technology. As soon as, basically, you figure out how to eliminate one threat, somebody's going to come up with something new. So. I'm distracted right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here's the bell. Oh, thank right. God. Thanks, Michelle. So let's move on now to the MotorWeek mailbag. Okay, our question comes from Tim in Maryland. Now, Tim wrote us at our website, MotorWeek.org, and he submitted our question. And because we have selected it, Tim will receive a free MotorWeek T-shirt. All right, Tim. Here's the question. About a year ago, I purchased a used 2008 Ford Escape Hybrid. The owner's manual was missing, and the service technician said that regular oil changes should happen every 10,000 miles because the engine doesn't work as hard or run as often. Is this a safe interval without causing potential engine wear? Oh, Tim, please find yourself another technician. Well, before we get to the technician, can I just say that you can get the owner's manual anywhere? I mean, that's the first thing. Well, there's a company called Helm, H-E-L-M, Incorporated. They make almost all the manuals. Go on the Internet, you know, Google Helm Incorporated or Helm Owner's Manuals. You will get their address. Uh, You can also order it through the car dealer's parts department, but get yourself an owner's manual. Yeah, I don't know what the exact number for Ford that Ford recommends, but 10,000 miles on any car these days is in a stretch. It doesn't have anything to do with being a hybrid and not working as hard. I mean, right. 10,000 miles is almost common in uh, pretty much anything made now. The uh, the general rule that we've always followed at Motor Week for many, many years is, you know, three months, 3,000 miles, and maybe if you've got a synthetic oil, you can get up to, uh, you should wait uh, 5,000 miles, but still do it at three months. And and why do we say that? And for that matter, why does Pat Goss, who sets up our maintenance schedule, say that? It has nothing to do with actually how much the oil is used. It has to do with the driving environment. It has to do with how much dirt is in the air. If you operate in a city where hybrids often do the best, that air is dirtier. The uh, the additives inside the oil that keep it the lubrication in good shape, they break down. So the oil itself may be okay, but it may be dirty and it may be lacking many of the additives that you need to uh, ensure that engine wear is kept at a minimum. So there's all things involved here. And even if the owner's manual tells you you can come 
7,500 or 10,000. It's probably, if you want to keep this vehicle a long time, it's much, much smarter to do it much more frequently. And if you need that list of what MotorWeek recommends, uh, it's at our MotorWeek.org website, and uh, you can find a complete list of when you should change belts, hoses, and all of the above. But generally speaking, um, I think 10,000 miles is very uncomfortable. One more thing. Most of these hybrids, if you use them in the city, they don't get that hot, so therefore they don't burn off a lot of impurities in the oil, and that also is bad for the oil. Anything else for me? No. I feel good about that. Okay. And uh, but get the owner's manual, Tim, uh, and don't leave home without it. Okay, well, I think that brings to a close this MotorWeek podcast. I'd like to thank those in the studio, our road test producer, Brian Robinson, our writer, Shamit Choksi, and our reporter, Stephen Chupnik. Thanks, guys, for joining me today. I'd also like to give thanks to our producer, Michelle Parker, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and uh, also our audio engineer, Mr. Jim Bigwood. Thank you all for listening to MotorWeek's podcast. Be sure to watch MotorWeek on your local public television station. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us at MotorWeek, thanks very much for listening. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.